Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Sean J. Roger, the College Football Insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And you can become a subscriber at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson here. Ish, how you doing? Yo, what's up, man? The penultimate day before state championships. <laughs> I know, I know it. It's, <laughs> it's weird. It's, it's weird that we're obviously thinking about this all the way out in January of all days. I know, college football is literally over and we're still in high school. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start there, actually. So, obviously, on Monday, the Alabama Crimson Tide went out, uh, dominated Ohio State, put together one of the most dominant, I think, title games in quite a while uh, <laughs> to become the national champions once again, the sixth time under Nick Saban, his seventh overall championship, and now I think that officially makes him uh, the winningest title coach in the history of football. Uh yeah, I, I mean, look, it was domination right from the start. I mean, what what do you what did you think of that performance? Um, yeah, basically, I think that what we saw was, I think it was Stephen Godfrey on on uh, Split Zone Duo mentioned like 2012 was like the culmination of that first era, Saban. Yes, where it's like you know just absolutely punishing drives, you know. Uh, ace formations, single back formations, just running down your throat with an imposing offensive line um, and then just suffocating you on defense. And this year was the culmination of the new era, the post-Lane Kiffin, post-RPO spread offense, Nick Saban, where they just lined up better athletes at every single position, spread them all out, and just absolutely beat you, you know, sideline to sideline, uh, end zone to end zone. Um, not worrying as I mean, he obviously worries about defense. He's a DB guy at heart, but um, obviously knowing that to win now and to win in the modern era means to have the best athletes on offense. And um, yeah, it was, like you said, it was a pure domination. Um, not only obviously at receiver with Devonte Smith and Mechie and those guys and, and Najee Harris in the backfield, but the offensive line, like it wasn't close, you know. Um, I think if Ohio State had last year's defensive line, maybe we're looking at something a little bit more interesting. But, you know, Chase Young's not there anymore. Uh, the Bosa brothers aren't there anymore. And if, frankly, if you don't have those top tier, you know, NFL talent level guys up there, man, it, it, it wasn't going to be close. Yeah, it, it was obviously such a weird game. And I think that, you know, obviously Ohio State, they were without a couple of guys on their defensive line. But one of the things that I think got to me the most was that, you know, they were they were stepping back. They were trying to limit the big play a little bit, and mm. it just didn't work. I mean, how many times in that game did we just see Devontae Smith get open? And, yeah. uh, you know, against all different types of coverage, we saw him in man, we saw him in zone, we saw him in cover three, and it didn't really matter. It, it kind of, you know, they were able to sort of scheme their way to, to being, being able to get open against anybody. And Well, I uh, will say, like, uh, Kerry Coombs, the defensive coordinator for Ohio State, did not do himself many good favors. Um, no, no. He, it looked like they were just, he was okay playing their base defense, um, didn't really switch much. Um, and obviously that left them in some terrible mismatches, like uh, on the on the Devontae Smith uh, <laughs> right. slot uh, pass through the middle as a linebacker that ended up on him. And it's just like, okay, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Um, so, yes, it, it was obviously a masterclass from 
Sarkeesian from a game planning standpoint and Alabama just from a personnel standpoint, but Ohio State did not do themselves many favors scheme-wise. Yeah, yeah it is interesting too because I feel like, I mean, and again, there's obviously a million things that go into how you game plan. It depends on how you've played all year. Like, obviously, you can't change up too much. But mm-hmm. it is interesting just because obviously playing in the Big Ten, you know, you're built to stop not that kind of offense, I guess, is, is sure. what you'd say. And, um, you know, well, it's, it's, it's similar to the thing where to, to what used to hamper, uh, hamper Nick Saban, right? right? Where it's like right. he's geared to play in the SEC against, you know, back then Florida was, you know, Jim McElwain or Will Muschamp. And it wasn't, you know, it's not uh, Dan Mullen like it is now. And so it wasn't a surprise when guys like Dan Mullen or Hugh Freeze that ran those offenses at the Mississippi schools or Johnny Manziel at A&M, like they would come in with these more open concepts and give them, and give them fits because right. he's used to stopping Georgia and, you know, and, and <laughs> player teams that try to replicate what he did at the time. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, I think for Ohio state, it's interesting, right? Because you start wondering like, why is that linebacker tough Borland? Why is he covering that section of the zone, right? Like, why why aren't you running something? Obviously, I think, you know, funnily enough, more like what you see in this state, right? Why aren't you mm-hmm. running something more like a base dime, you know, something mm-hmm. like that? I, I think that that's how obviously, uh, you know, teams in this state who have seen a lot of this type of offense have tried to adjust. And I'm not saying it would have changed everything because obviously right. it absolutely would not have I mean you, you talk about it I think that you look at that Alabama team and I think that you on that offense specifically you have pretty much best available running back you have pretty much best available offensive line uh, and they were without their starting center uh, who was injured but like they were still obviously one mm-hmm. of the best lines in in football uh Obviously, at receiver, you have literally the Heisman Trophy winner, and then you lose Waddle, who plays a couple of plays, but, um, but you know, you have a Mechie, you have a bunch of guys out there. You've got some great pass catchers at tight end. And, like, maybe the one – and I want to – you know, I, I don't want to go overboard. This Maybe the one, quote-unquote, weakness on your team is at quarterback, where Mac Jones mm-hmm. is very good but not, like, the perfect quarterback. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is kind of, you know, arguably the most perfect offense that's ever been put together in terms of personnel especially, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, for whatever Mac Jones is or isn't, I mean, what he clearly is is a fantastic decision maker who was decisive with the ball and could make every throw. So, like, it's just what to even do at that point. But, you know, and actually I think this is a good transition, right? Because it's going to be really interesting, I think, for Steve Sarkeesian now, coming in at Texas, who mm-hmm. – was scheming against Ohio State, a team that's used to playing against Big Ten offenses, was scheming, you know, against the rest of the SEC, who, who obviously has some familiarity with this, but not like this, to mm-hmm. now coming to the Big 12 at Texas, where, listen, I, I know that uh, a lot of national broadcasters seem to get their talking points from 2014 or whatever, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, the Big 12 now has obviously behind Ohio, uh, sorry, behind Iowa State, rather, has really modernized on defense and has kind of uh, been the first wave uh, of innovation of sort of this new style of defense where you're basically dropping seven or eight every single play. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a reason why we've seen kind of a, uh, I don't want to say like a, a, um, a regression, but it's mostly, it's been a, kind of a neutralization right as far yeah. as like the explosive offense that we were used to in 2014 2015 um we've seen kind of a a kind of i guess a regression to back to the mean of not sure. being as expansive on that side of the ball because defenses are now keen to what that side of the ball is doing 
And so you have guys like, you know, you have Iowa State, you have Oklahoma even now um, adapting. And then for a couple of years there, Texas did as well. Oklahoma State, obviously, this past year. 2019 um, Baylor. 2019 Baylor, right? And so you have like these, you have these schemes and these programs that are like, okay, here's how we counter how uh, the offenses are spreading the field. And yeah, you're seeing an expansion of defense. And I'm wonder, I'm really curious to see what it's like for Sarkeesian to because I get it, right? You know, you're watching that offense, right? They, Texas literally gets a commit from um, Armani Winfield um, in the middle of the game, right? Because obviously right, right. It, you're watching Devontae Smith do everything. You're like, man, I can't wait till he does that at Texas. And it's like, I get it, right? That's obviously right. a big thing, that a big attractive point. But, <laughs> and I got to say with a big but, you're not getting those guys day one. Yeah. Right. You're not getting the the reason why I was able to be so efficient and so precise um, on Monday was because of Nick Saban and what he was able to recruit to every single position there. Obviously, somebody like Sarkeesian comes in and, you know, perfects what guys like Lane Kiffin and then Brian Dable and, and Mike Loxley did uh, schematically before him. But the foundation and the structure was there long before he got there. And that's the biggest difference. And seeing if he can not only scheme that on his own, but recruit to that on his own, that's an entirely different job. And that's, that's a testament to not only the, perf- the perfect model that Nick Saban's done, the fact that, you know, we're having these questions about if Sarkeesian can do it on his own, but also that it is, it is the first time that Sarkeesian's had to do this on his own since USC. And he wasn't exactly a recruiting savant at USC or Washington either. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that just kind of to, to wrap up what you said there, you know, it's, it's one thing when you can come in and be the offensive coordinator at Alabama and draw up all the perfect plays that have ever existed and know mm-hmm. that your team is going to run them to perfection and they're going to work because you could win all of your one-on-one matchups. And it's obviously a whole other thing now where you have to start over and make that for yourself. So Right. I don't want I don't want Texas fans to to look at October and be like, why isn't Jake Smith Jalen Waddle yet? <laughs> oh, I, I saw one too many. Well, Jake Smith can just be can just be Devontae Smith tweets, and I was ready to lose my mind. Texas has some really good players. I mean, yes, he could literally just change his name to Devontae and he'll be fine, but like that's yeah. that's literally as close as he would get to being Devontae Smith. <laughs> Well, obviously, Steve Sarkeesian introduced that the newest, as the newest head coach at the University of Texas, replacing Tom Herman uh, on Tuesday. Um, look, I think that <laughs> one thing that was kind of funny was we were, we were talking in our, in our work Slack, and one of the things that we said was, we, we've definitely seen this press conference before, right? There's nothing new that you can say coming in at the University of Texas. You know that you got to say the, you know, we love Texas high school coaches. We yeah. love playing, you know, we love playing attacking offense and defense. Like there's you got to, you got to recruit, you got to recruit the state to, to be good. Build a gotta, wall around the state. We've yeah. heard it all, man. We've heard it all. Uh, you know, obviously look, and that's, that's not <laughs> nothing to do with, with Sarkeesian. That's not his fault. There's just right. nothing you can say because there's We've literally a, a bullet point list of right. like, hey, here's what you got to say. Right, right. And it is kind of interesting, right? Because, you know, you hear this every time. It seems like they have this idea of like, this is what could be successful at Texas. This is what the model is for being successful at Texas. So you mm-hmm. have to say all those things, right? Yeah. I'm curious, after, after hearing just some of the introductory stuff and, and obviously seeing what he's done at Alabama and, and obviously before at USC and Washington, 
how prepared do you think he is to accomplish some of that stuff? Yeah. Um, I'm really curious. That's the big question, isn't it? Because I think that one, the promising thing about the press conference, even though it was pretty formulaic, was that he obviously gets it. Yes. Right. As somebody who isn't from here, um, as somebody who isn't from this, this, I mean, he's not even from the region, really. He's, he's a California guy. And so, um, somebody who understands the culture here is as, that's as promising of a sign as any and is basically what we can the only thing we can really take too because again his other head coaching stints have been west coast and so we don't know his recruiting acumen we don't know his relationships with the people around here obviously at alabama he has some relationships because they obviously recruit the area um but to the extent of feeling confident in how he can do it on his own i mean it shows that he's willing to ingratiate himself right and I think that that's something we saw from Matt Rule when he went to Baylor, when we had questions about his ties to the region. Um, you Now I'm really curious about his, his staff um, development, obviously. We, we've yeah. heard names about his coordinators, which, you know, those they're promising. They're not exactly um, – those aren't the hires that I would look to as far as, like, the ingratiating himself. Um, those are more structural. Uh, but when we start getting into position coaches and things like that, that's when I'm really going to be interested because, obviously, that's where – Matt Rule separated himself as somebody who's really, really enthusiastic about um, uh, putting the Texas recruiting landscape in his, literally in his, in his office. Um, And so that's where I'm going to be really curious to see, because sure, we can, again, we can harp on it being formulaic, but the fact that it was shows that he gets what he has to do to be successful here. And, you know, let's put it this way. It could have gone bad, right? That press conference could have gone bad where it's like, Oh, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. He could have come in with a, you know, more of a uh, pompous attitude and, you know, try to act like he came from Bama and try to pull a, you know, try to pull something like that, but he didn't, right. He, he came and basically, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, he kissed the ring (laughs) and that's part (laughs) of what you have to do. Mac Brown was the best ring kisser at Texas and eventually he became the ring master. So that's kind (laughs) of how it, that's event. That's how it has to escalate. Right. Right. And you know, I, I mean, I do think that one thing that sort of makes this his press conference versus, you know, just any others is I, I was uh, interested in sort of how openly he talked about his struggles. Right. And, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and he kind of talked about it from the perspective of, you know, I've kind of seen my career taken from me almost. And so yeah. I kind of have a little bit more context. And I think it was Mike Finger on Twitter uh, over at the, the San Antonio paper who said, you know, this is, one of the first times maybe you know not not ever but in a long mm-hmm. time that a coach is taking the job at texas who sort of i guess knows his own fallibility you know knows mm-hmm. his own shortcomings knows he can fail and yeah i mean I, I think that you look at obviously the last couple i mean obviously tom herman had absolutely no idea that he could fail that was obviously from the get-go uh and you know charlie strong was very much always on the upswing. He had never had a downswing. Um, you know, Mac obviously was a pretty young coach when he came to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm curious, do you think that that's going to potentially help give him some perspective? Sure. I, I think that's, I mean, that's definitely a, um, something worth considering because you look at, not only look at like his head coaching stints, but like, you know, it wasn't exactly a smooth sailing after that, obviously, because he obviously no. had to do with his personal issues, but you know, he goes to Bama as an interim, he gets the offensive coordinator job at, 
at, with the Falcons, and it's like, oh, okay, cool, he's going to go from there back to the, you know to an NFL job or back to a college head coaching job. And no, sure. he went he went down to yeah he he went he got fired and he went to, he went back to Alabama, and it's like okay, cool, like you know he's basically almost more or less failed twice, yeah. um, one for personal reasons, but one for obviously football reasons. Yeah. Um, you know the Falcons weren't a good offense under him, and so to I think that's that might be one of the more promising signs because he's failed twice for multiple reasons and he was able to humble himself to not only go back to college the college ranks as a coordinator but revamp his own style and his own coaching because the offense that we saw now wasn't the offense he ran in washington wasn't the offense he ran at usc had some concepts of the stuff he ran in Atlanta, but for the most part, it was, you know, what Nick Saban wanted to run. And he just added his own flair, obviously, to perfection. But um, I think that's the best thing that Texas fans can hope for is that he did get knocked down a couple times in his career. And he realized, okay, this doesn't work. This isn't how I handle this. This, you know, he has that experience of like, if this, if I try this, this will fail. Or if I try this, you know, he, he, he has that, uh, that, uh, I guess he doesn't have that stubbornness that maybe mm-hmm. guys like Tom Herman had who basically were my way or the highway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, it, <laughs> this is, this is kind of, I guess, uh, an interesting comparison, especially based on who Texas rivals are. A lot of this felt very, you know, obviously, as people, they're very different, but a lot of this feels very like we're trying to like one up Lincoln Riley, you know, like we're trying to do, <laughs> do a little better, you know, we're, we're trying to see, can we do that? But you know, with the resources of Texas and, right. you know, they, I mean, they didn't have, they didn't have, they didn't have a, a head coach in waiting like Lincoln Riley. Right. So it was like, we just got to pluck somebody from somewhere right. to be the Lincoln Riley. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm, I will say, you know, you are Texas, you can mm-hmm. hypothetically builds more you know you can hypothetically do some of the stuff that Lincoln does now now I think that you know Steve Sarkeesian has a long way to go before he's considered obviously the the offensive mind that Lincoln Riley is and and program builder as well Um, and and obviously at Texas yes you have more resources but you also have a lot more headaches to deal with too so Mm -hmm. it's going to be pretty interesting though I mean the biggest thing that I'll say about this especially for us who obviously are going to be here watching along is Man, I think they're going to be fun. I, I think they're going to be a lot too. more fun. I think they're going to be, yeah, no, I, I do too. Like we, we can joke about, you know, how Jake Smith's not Devontae Smith, but they have athletes to be able to be, to be able to have, show signs of what Oklahoma, of what uh, Alabama did, right? You have B. John Robinson, who is an explosive uh, running back and potential, potential explosive pass catcher too, which is what we saw from Najee Harris um, um, at times as well under Sarkeesian. And you have guys like Joshua Moore, and Jake Smith is a good slot receiver in his own right, right? He's probably going to be yes. their number two next year. Um, and you have guys who I, I think it's fair to say we have not seen the best out of. And having someone who can scheme that, I, I mean, I don't see a downside to Texas next year being a fun rebuilding team, right? That might be frustrating for – some people that just watch the national title if they just win seven or eight games but (laughs) if they're going to be fun doing it like okay what's what's wrong with having that and building off of that right yeah and you know i i think that even thinking back a little right like okay 
if we finally get a healthy Jordan Whittington, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a guy who could potentially be great in this slot, in this offense. Uh, you know, Troy O'Mary, obviously a guy who came in last year, another guy who I think could be really, really good. And there's still a lot of time to add some guys in this recruiting class. And obviously I think, yeah. I, I think that 2022 is really going to be the class where you start to see. And, you know, and, and I don't want to talk too much about recruiting right now because honestly it, it bores me, but, um, but, you know, I think that one thing, with 2022 especially and with a Sarkeesian from a recruiting perspective is yeah I, I'm not exactly sure you know sort of the nuts and bolts of recruiting how Sarkeesian's going to do but you know the the blessing and curse at Texas is that you're going to have a lot of those guys available anyway right like you don't have to do sort of the grind uh, of like finding these guys and and yeah. Putting in all the, you know, you're Texas. You can kind of pick a guy and say, you're going to come here and, and they'll come here, right? Uh, you got to get it right is the biggest thing. And I think that especially if you are a high school receiver in the state of Texas, right? Or a quarterback or, or even a running back. Um, and you watched what he did at, uh, at Alabama, right? Like, I think that, I think that for so long, the, the obvious mantra has been, well, we're going to go to Oklahoma, right? Or we're going to go mm-hmm. to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that Sarkeesian, just being Sarkeesian, gives you the option of at least thinking about it. Because I don't, I don't think – it's funny, right? Because Tom Herman literally became the head coach of Texas for creating a dynamic offense that won a national championship at Ohio State. And that offense yeah. never really showed up at Texas. Right. I think like people watch the offense and they're like, oh man, he's going to do what he did with Zeke. And it's like, not really. He's going <laughs> to, like, it, it, it just really wasn't able to materialize. And I guess like that was to me, if any, that was like the, cause I mean, cause he brought it to a certain extent at Houston. Right. Obviously. That's how Ward was awesome. Job. Right. Right. Exactly. But like, I think that's where, again, that's where the difference, I think, between the, the, the humbling Sarkeesian had in his career. Yeah. Because Herman, obviously, his, his trajectory was a straight, was just a complete diagonal, right? It was absolutely um, skyrocketing um, after that national title game. And, you know, Houston is a, Houston's a similar job to Texas to a certain extent at the group of five level. Yeah. where it's like you're just going to have better athletes than a lot of people. And so, of course, if he can just scheme it right, okay, cool, he's going to blow up there, right? Houston's always – Houston, no matter who gets that job, it, it, there's always going to be, like, the, the combustible factor of just, like, exploding one year, and that's what happened. And so he never failed. We saw that second year Houston was kind of not as good, but it was still like, eh, it's fine, right? He's he good he, enough. Yeah, it was good enough. And so when he gets to Texas, he, I think he just kind of thought it was going to be the same thing. And it's like, that's right. not how it works at a certain level. Yeah, yeah. So we're obviously excited. It's going to be really interesting to see. Obviously, it'll be interesting to see how the quarterback battle goes. It'll be interesting to see if they add any other players via the transfer wire, because I do Speaking think Speaking of transfer wire, did you see the one that just came across Twitter? No, what happened? Grant Calcaterra is going to SMU. What? Oh, yeah. that's that's a good one. I like that. That's yeah. Wow. So for people who don't know, Grant Calcaterra was a tight end at Oklahoma who was really, really good. Uh, he was he came in right after Mark Andrews did at Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, put together like all Big 12 type seasons, then actually ended up medically retiring uh, and actually worked as a firefighter, I believe it was for like two years. So actually that's which by the way. I, I gotta I gotta write that down. I definitely gotta try and follow up with him about what what his last couple of uh, weeks yeah. and months have been like. But um, but yeah, and and obviously SMU has used the tight end to perfection with Kylan mm-hmm. Granson in there. And all respect to Kylan Granson, who I think is an NFL player. 
like Greg Alcantara is even better, right? Yeah. So I he mean, was a big is... part of that uh, that uh, Kyler Murray team. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was mm-hmm. Kyler Murray's safety blanket a lot of the time. Yeah. Wow. That is. Whew. I, I, a massive get. Yeah, you're getting my instant reaction. I did not know that, uh, and, <laughs> and I'm I'm excited about that. That's gonna be a f- that's gonna be a fun guy to cover in this state. I think so. Sure. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, yeah. All that to say, yes. Obviously, the transfer wire is gonna be very open this year. Um, you know, we could potentially have some quick rebuilds. I I don't know if you're Texas. I I think that you need to be wary of overextending yourself this year because you don't have to be great in 2021. Um, but I think there's going to be some guys available who potentially can make the job just a little bit easier. So anyway, let's move on. So this week after the national championship game, we ended up publishing our way too early 2021 Texas college power rankings. And I got to say doing this is always interesting, right? (laughs) Because I mean, we just mentioned, we don't even know who's going to be playing on half these teams, right? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. we, we don't necessarily know, um, you know, who's going to leave for the NFL. I, I was talking with, uh, with Matthew Bartlett, the publisher over at, at the roost uh, who covers rice. And I was like, so do we know anything about like all of these seniors? Like, like are they going to come back? And he's like, I literally have no idea right now. Like he, he just doesn't know. I mean, and, and so when we say way too early, especially this year of all years, it is way too early, but that has never stopped us before. Uh, so let's go ahead and get right into it. Um, well, actually, let me ask first, uh, before we start, did anything mm-hmm. from my rankings especially jump out to you? Um, nothing in particular, because I mean, uh, we, we kind of talked about a little bit of what we expected next year from a lot of these teams. I don't think SMU being a little bit down below Texas sure. was a little bit, but I get with the losses that they have. I mean, Shane Michelle's obviously a huge massive loss to what their ceiling is next year sure. um but other than that i mean i'd probably you i could nitpick like uh oh, baylor texas tech you know uh, maybe but like i'm, I'm I, I don't i don't have a strong say either way yeah um i can absolutely see why tech should be rated uh, lower than baylor under you know what based off the hires that they made on offense sure. and and based off the natural progression i think of um I think Aranda has as compared to Wells, but yeah, no, nothing really massive for me. Um, the only one maybe is SMU behind Texas at three and four. Sure. Sure. So uh, first of all, let, let me just go through the rankings. Okay. And actually I also have the 2020 rankings that we did before last year pulled up. So let's maybe I, I'll touch on that in just a second too. But um, okay. So I got UTEP at 12. I want to be clear. This is not like a usual UTEP at 12. Like I think that they're going to be a lot better. I just think that they have more questions than everybody else. So they're at 12 right now. Especially because they still don't have coordinators. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Number 11, North Texas. Uh, same sort of deal, right? Like they're looking for a de- defensive coordinator hire. And I think that they are trending the wrong way versus I think that, you know, you look at number 10, I have Texas State. I think that Texas State is putting a lot into 2021, right? Like I think that they're mm-hmm. really trying to, to have a quick turnaround. And actually I, I had some <laughs> Texas State fans saying – why are they so low with how many you guys are adding? I mean, right. look, we just don't know right now, right? We don't know right. how they're going to integrate. I think that the one qualm that Texas State fans could have is obviously 10 versus nine with Rice because we just don't know who's coming back at Rice. Sure, because- I, but I'd argue that one is more like, hey, we saw more from Rice this year. No question. Versus Texas State. Like, I, I think just going off natural progression, I would, I, would, I would gamble on Rice too yeah. over Texas I mean, State. 
I mean, look, we, we do have to acknowledge, right, that Texas State was number 12 in our final one of the 2020 yeah. season. Uh, you know, again, I'm not saying that they're horrible. We obviously saw earlier in the year, you know, I kept trying to find an excuse to keep them up high. And then mm-hmm. they just kept losing. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's only so much you can do at a certain point. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that bottom group, uh, it could end up in any order. And I could see... I mean, other than UTEP, I could see any of those four teams escaping higher, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I think that um, I think that all of them have potentially boom potential, but we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Uh, and again, I, I think that whether Mike Collins comes back, especially for Rice, is I think going to be the biggest deal for them. Um, moving on to number eight, what the hell do you do with Houston? Like, <laughs> it's just they lose a bunch of guys. They obviously lose Peyton Turner, Marquez Stevenson, and Grant Stewart, and. I don't know, man, like they are, they have quickly become like just a forgettable team. They were seven, seven and 13 over the first two years of the Dana Holgerson era. Like, I don't know. Where is it getting better? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically like you look at Rice and it's like, okay, they're better than Rice, obviously, but like, I don't know. I at least know at least somewhat what Tech's doing, right? right, right. <laughs> what 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 they're kind of building towards, um, and they're yeah they're in that no man's land of like, okay they're not, we do like where Rice is going, but they're better than Rice, but they're definitely not punching up into the next level of like the really the the solidified mid range of the state, like they're firmly below that. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's frustrating, and so yeah. I think that's a good spot for them. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do obviously, you know, want to give the disclaimer that all these are relative to like com- conference competition, right? So like, you know, when I say that, sure. you know, when I say that, uh, you know, for example, that, I mean, obviously Houston's ahead of Rice. If I put Rice ahead of Houston, that doesn't you're not mean saying that they're, they're on the field, but you do, you do know where each program is kind of structured right. and, and at right now. Right, right. So uh, moving on to number seven, Texas Tech. So I think for me, the biggest thing that I think about Tex Tech is that one, I think that if Sonny Cumbie's able to kind of simplify things and kind of have a full control over what he wants to do, I, I think that their offense is not that far away. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, I, I think that Cumbie's going to be good news for Alan Bowman. I, I think that they're going to simplify the game plan a lot uh, versus what they were doing with uh, David Yost. And Look, I, I know that the numbers don't necessarily show it, but I think that Tech is actually playing really well defensively, uh, especially in the latter half of the 2020 season. I think they really kind of got things together. And, um, you know, they, they're kind of playing, you know, what we were kind of talking about with the, with Big 12 defense, you know, earlier in the show, where, you know, they're just making things difficult. They're, they're forcing turnovers. Uh, they're doing a good job of, of keeping play, uh, yards per play down. You know, they're still allowing some explosive plays. It's really been one of the big issues for them. But, um, and, and I'm not saying that they're going to make this kind of leap, but it does remind me a little bit of uh, that 2018 Baylor team where it's just like, you feel like they're really close and then they'll give up a big play, but, you know, you know and maybe they don't play very well situationally, but you kind of see what's there and you think maybe a jump is coming. I don't know if it is, right? Like they obviously lose Zach McPherson, but they bring back a really talented linebacker core. And, and I think that's uh, I think they have the potential to be kind of good. So I think that definitely one of the interesting ones is that seven versus six, because I think that I think that there's a clear number five, and then I think that there's a clear top four. Um, so seven versus six. So I had I had Tech at seven, I had Baylor at six. So here's my reasoning behind that, right? Because I definitely did hear about that one. Um, one, I think that Baylor's offense was just miles worse than Tech's, obviously, right? And and despite that, they were kind of similarly 
they, they kind of played at a similar, similar level last year, despite Baylor having one of the most atrocious offenses I've ever seen versus Tech, you know, kind of just being mediocre at, at both offense and defense. And mm-hmm. I think that they made a fantastic hire at offensive coordinator and at offensive line coach too. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that I'm not saying that they're going to like jump up and become a good offense, but like if Baylor had an average offense last year with the defense that they had, I mean, they would have had a winning record. I, I think that, you know, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. And now, you know, I think that obviously it's going to be sort of a new era and, and we haven't really seen a whole lot from any of these four quarterbacks who are going to be start, uh, fighting for the starting quarterback job. But I think that we have seen enough from the guys around them to know that there is talent on that offense that, that can be taken advantage of. And, and again, I think that if Baylor has an average offense, just, just an average offense, not even a good offense, mm-hmm. I think that this defense potentially could be really good because you bring back Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard, Dylan Doyle, uh, Raleigh Tejada is coming back for another year. Like, you have a really stacked defense, in my opinion, if you can kind of find some contributors up front. That, that was kind of the big issue last year. But, um, I, I mean, I think that this defense has a chance to be really special. And, and obviously, if they can just kind of figure out something on offense, which I think that they'll be able to, I think they could be pretty good. Yeah, I think the argument that I, that I am starting to come around, coming around to now is that, you know, the jump from Tech's offense from being, you know, average to good or great – to me is greater than the one Baylor needs to make from bad to average. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. and I feel more confident in somebody like Jeff Grimes coming in and uh, Eric Mateus working with that offensive line to make them into an average unit, as opposed to, you know, betting on Sonny Cumbie to turn them into a good or great unit for tech. And I think that jump is needed more for tech um, for them to be, for, for them to surpass, you know, six, seven wins next year, as opposed to Baylor just needing, like you said, needing an average offense to get four, five, six wins. I mean, that's like you said, if they literally just had a league average offense, not even, not even nation average, like Big Twelve average offense. Yeah. Like it, they, they definitely probably could have made, or probably could have made a bowl game this year. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, I, I think that's definitely sort of my train of thought too. And so moving on to number five, again, TCU is, is so interesting because I think that they are quite a bit ahead of those other teams of, of 12 through six. Mm-hmm. And then they are just not really that close to one through four for me. <laughs> right. And it's so kind of the Houston of the other way. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, look at the end of the day, they won five of their last six games, right. In all, mm-hmm. uh, all but one in conference play. And um, they do lose their three best defenders in Trevon Merrick, Ardarius Washington, and Garrett Wallow, but um, they bring back their entire defensive line. They bring back a lot of experience in the secondary. Uh, Trey Tomlinson Hodges uh, is is a legit star in the making at cornerback, in my opinion. Uh, they've got a lot on that defense, and now obviously it's just going to come down to one. You know, are they? What exactly are they going to do on offense? Um, just because. Obviously, they lose Sonny Cumbie. I think that they'll probably just add a quarterback's coach. And obviously, we've mm-hmm. talked about we think it could be internal. Um, you know, and, and can that offensive line continue to grow uh, to, to give Max Duggan a little bit more help? So I think that when I look at this TCU team, again, they're, to me, especially in 2021, I think that they're ahead and maybe even shoulders above Baylor and TCU. But I just don't know if they have quite enough to get into that top group. Yeah, no, I, 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 that's kind of where I am too. I think you, there are so many question marks, not only with exactly how the offense is going to look, um, but also 
where are some of those guys that are going to take the next step, right, for, for along that offense? Like, do we think Zach Evans is going to explode next year? I think towards the end of the year, he may have shown that he um, had the talent and the ability to. So who knows if he gets a full spring under his belt and full fall under his belt, um, where that goes. But there are just – I think we're we're starting to get to the point where it's hard to project with TCU um, after multiple years now of them just kind of wallowing in the same area. Um, I think we expected a a bigger jump this year from last year because that's just kind of how it's been for Gary Patterson's career. But now it's starting to be in that little like mulling around the you know six seven win march mar- margin um, for multiple years now. And now it's like okay, well can we expect him to get better? Like he has over his career, but we've been saying that for about two years now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, kind of a, kind of a little bit in no man's land, but um, so, so I think this top four is, is kind of one group. So I'm going to start at the top. I think Texas A&M, obviously, uh, yes, they lose some key guys in Bobby Brown, Buddy Johnson, Kellen Mond, but they bring back a lot on both sides of the ball. Obviously Isaiah Spiller, I think is going to be really that workhorse on offense. It's going to be interesting to see what they do at offensive line. I think that's really going to be the thing that makes or breaks them. But defensively, they bring back a whole lot, including Aaron Hansford. They bring back DeMarvin Leal, who obviously is he's only heading into his third season, which is just so dumb. Um, <laughs> you know, Jaden Peavy on that defensive line. So I see nobody really coming close to Texas A&M uh, potentially next year in the state. Yeah, no, I think that especially when you look at that defense um, and the emerging playmakers outside of, you know, quarterback, we'll see what they do there. But the emerging playmakers on offense, um, obviously led by Isaiah Spiller and then uh, Ken Young Green along that offensive line. But um, and then Devon Chain, of course, in the backfield. I forgot about him. Um, I think that it makes quarterback less important to when you have almost literally everything else more or less solidified. Obviously, you know, Leal's a big returner, but they're still going to have to find some other impact playmakers on the defensive line. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. This year was a big step forward for the depth and just, like, the overall project. And so, yeah, I agree. When you, when you look at the ceiling of AM next year, you know, it might not be, you know, competing for a playoff like they were this year, but I still think it's distinctly higher than where anybody else could potentially go. And even the floor. Like, I'm, I'll even look at the yeah. floor, right? Yeah. I, I just – I mean, yes, anything can happen, but I just don't see this team's floor being anything less than eight or nine wins in a, you know, obviously with a normal season, obviously not with like a shrunken schedule like they had this year, but in a traditional 12 game season, I don't see how anything less than eight or nine wins shouldn't be the expectation. It's going to be really nice uh, referring to records and them being 12 games again. I'm looking forward to that, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, at number two, we got UTSA. And so this was another one that I got, uh, I guess, some fun push pushback on. But to me, again, I, I think that I think that what you're saying when you're when you're talking about sort of uh, comparing these teams versus each other, right, is you have Texas A&M, who's going to be a team that maybe won't compete for the conference, but will come really close, I think, to competing for the conference. Mm-hmm. And I think UTSA is right there with them. I think that they're going to be a contender in Conference USA next year. And I think that you look at what they did late in the year, especially, right? They go and win three games in the month of November they mm-hmm. play Louisiana I think closer than anybody expected us to I, I mean we talked about that yeah. a little earlier um but you know they played their best football at the end of the year and and honestly the only sort of concerning game that they had all of last year was a 24-3 loss to FAU other than that I mean they were competitive with everybody 
and and I think played really well. I mean, they they played BYU within seven points. That's crazy to me. <laughs> and so now I, I think you head into 2021, and it's not it's not an easy schedule. Obviously, I mean, UTSA always schedules hard, but uh, but I think you know, for example, they go on the road against Illinois in the non-conference slate. I'm not saying that they can win that game, but maybe, right? Like, I, yeah. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, no, I think that when you look at these top two, I think that you look at the teams that more or less you look at and say, okay, these are the teams that I can ex- more or less expect to contend for the conference next year, right? Um, and I think, you know, SMU pending, but, you know, they're losing a lot in Shane Michelle. There's a lot of question marks around them, so... I think when you look at returning cast, I think those are the these two are the teams where you're like, okay, these two are the teams where I wouldn't be surprised to see them playing somewhere near, you know, top of their division or for UTSA playing in the conference championship or something like that. Um, everybody else I feel like is more of a reach. Yeah, and, and the one thing that I'll say with really all of the group of five teams right now is that we don't know a ton about who's going to go and who's going to come back because mm-hmm. uh, UTSA, I don't think had very many seniors at all, but, um, right. but, you know, we really don't know, <laughs> you know, we were mentioning with rice. We don't know if Mike Collins plays Aldridge and, uh, and Austin Trammell will come back. You know, we, we just don't know at this point. So that obviously mm-hmm. will impact things if we see some guys not come back or transfer, for example, but, um, but right now, I mean, I, I don't think UTSA is hardly losing a key guy on, on either side of the ball. So, It'll be interesting to watch how, uh, how that gets handled. But uh, you referred to this one at the beginning. Number three, Texas. Number four, SMU. I, I, think, mm-hmm. that, I think that both these teams are definitely in rebuilding mode. Uh, but for both of these teams, they're so talented that rebuilding mode is more going to be kind of a reloading mode. And right. I think that for SMU, for SMU, it's going to come down to how good is Tanner Mordecai? Right, because mm-hmm. he obviously was a blue chip guy. He played under uh, Lincoln Riley and um, was the backup quarterback this year to Spencer Rattler. And uh, and word is that he got hurt during the off season, and that really put him behind the eight ball in terms of winning the starting job. But mm. you know, at the same time, right, most of the time when Power Five quarterbacks transfer down to the Group of Five, it doesn't go like Shell did, right? Like, right, it just doesn't. Um, now. I think that Mordecai is really good. And I think that Sonny Dykes is so good at coaching quarterbacks that I think it won't matter. I think they'll, they'll be fine. I think they'll be in good shape. And you get some of the biggest news that you could have gotten all offseason with, uh, with Reggie Robertson. And yeah, that he's coming my back. God. I mean, far and away, in, in my opinion, the best receiver in the state returning, right, in, in 2021. Yeah. And, um, and now, by the way, you have said Grant Calcaterra, which is crazy. I mean, that's – that's the sort of move that I'm not saying that it would have flipped these rankings if, if I had known that before, but I mean, it's, it would have factored in, right? <laughs> Adding oh, yeah. a tight end like that. So, um, and then with Texas, obviously you're also switching out quarterbacks. Um, we have obviously at this point seen a good Casey Thompson game. It's one game, you know, mm-hmm. in a, in a bowl game where, you know, we'll, we don't know exactly how motivated guys were, but like, you know, we, we saw some good Casey Thompson play. We obviously know that Bijan Robinson is, I mean, along with Robertson, probably the best player on either of these teams. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, so a guy who's going to be a centerpiece of that offense. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think defensively they've got some good experience coming back, starting with DeMarvin Overshone. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it is going to be interesting because I do think that a lot of my assumption with this is that 
Steve Sarkeesian is going to be able to do enough offensively to have them not necessarily as a better team than they were last year, but, you know, doing some things at a higher level on offense than they were last season, just in terms of having an identity, just in terms of, I think their scheme's going to be better. Um, but, you know, again, it's hard to know. Yeah. I think that the biggest, the biggest difference between both the programs for me is you mentioned it with Tanner Mordecai, right? Because obviously Shane Bichelle was the big centerpiece to how SMU went from point A to point B and just went two years under Sunny Dykes. But asking Tanner Mordecai to do that or even just to kind of keep that going is big. Um, and I think it's a little bit too big of a stretch to expect it happening again um, under another transfer quarterback as opposed to just Texas getting marginally better or somewhere around the same under Steve Sarkeesian, right? I think it's it's the projected jump that I argued with Tech versus Baylor, right? Where you're asking, pretend you're you're perhaps asking one a little bit too much from one, and you're not projecting as much from the other. And so, if Sarkeesian has Texas around seven eight wins next year, okay, cool. Like that that's basically around what I expected. If SMU has about eight or nine wins next year, that's a little bit surprising to me. Because I just don't expect Tanner Mordecai to come in and, you know, throw for 4,000 yards right away, right? right, right. He, he, Shane Bichelle was a proven starter when he came to SMU. Tanner Mordecai, we expect to be good, but, you know, he's probably not going to be uh, right away, um, you know, lighting the field on fire. So uh, I don't have a problem with it. Um, you know, I still – I do think SMU's ceiling is about maybe nine wins, but I think their floor could be about, you know, five or six, depending on how things go. Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting because I do think that the one thing that you say in response to that is, okay, let's say that Tanner Mordecai is, <laughs> it feels bad saying this because he came from the same it, high school. Say it. <laughs> ben Hicks. <laughs> 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 Which we don't expect. Uh, but but um, let's say that he is, right? Like, And I just mean that in terms of like an average yes. pretty good quarterback, right? Because uh, Ben Hicks, right. during his time at SMU, he had obviously the great receivers, but like the team around him in general was not great. Yeah right? Like, right. it was fine. Yeah. So let's say that you have just, like, you know, a replacement of a quarterback, like Ben Hicks. Um, I think that you look at their offensive line, they return a lot, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that they have some legit NFL-type guys on that offensive line. At running back, you get TJ McDaniel back. I think that's huge for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that we saw when Ulysses Bentley, who was great last year, had, had to sort of be that workhorse running back. He's just not built to do that, whereas McDaniel will be. Uh, you get back Reggie Robertson, obviously, in addition to Rasheed Rice and Danny Gray, which is just, oh, man, that's so unfair. That's so <laughs> um, obviously, defensively, I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll have to see if they can make some strides. I, I have faith in the guys that they have back there, but, but they didn't play well last year. So, like, I think that their ceiling is still, like – I mean, sorry, I think that their floor is still, like, seven, but – that's fair. I I would I would the only thing I would say is, is that we did see what this offense looked like with a replacement level quarterback and it was about five. Yeah. Five wins. Yeah. So, I mean again, that's again that's expected that's the again that's floor and ceiling working, right? If I was actually projecting, I'd say I'd project about seven or eight wins. I, I do think that they could be better than that, but we'll have to we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I mean, yeah. obviously the other thing too is 
we obviously don't have their schedule right now, right? We have to see who sure, they get yeah. at home, on the road. Uh, I still don't know what the hell the season's going to look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too, I, so. uh, let me just say this one thing, though. I sure hope that Tanner Mordecai does not have to play against Cincinnati's defense because that does not sound like fun at all. <laughs> so, yeah. Real quick, I do want to go through uh, I do want to go through last year's uh, way too early rankings from the 2020 season, okay? Because I, I think this is kind of fun. I, we did have Texas A&M number one. I, I thought that that was an easy one. I, I feel like it wasn't like a hot take by any means. It was, it was pretty logical. But, like, we've been on Texas A&M from the start, right? Like, we, we kind of said <laughs> from the beginning, like – Literally, when we were putting together the magazine uh, with, uh, with Ellinger on the cover, we are like, okay, we're probably looking at a pretty good – because, you know, I remember that editorial meeting. We are starting yep. to, just, you know, trying to figure things out. And we were like, okay, well, I know we put Jimbo on last year. Okay, Ellinger, you know, this year – when's the next A&M cover? We're like, oh, maybe, you know, we'll figure, you know, the discussion going into this year, obviously it was Shane Michelle because we didn't expect SMU to come into things, but we were like, oh man, like, you know, A&M is going to be really good going into 20. Like that's going to be something we're going to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, for us, I think that we've definitely <laughs> tried to be all over that one because, because I do yeah. think that they've obviously stockpiled something pretty special. And so it's going to be real interesting. The thing that I said before last year was that I thought that there was a chance not that, it, again, there were a million reasons why it probably wouldn't have happened, but there was like a, a small, small chance in my mind that we could have gotten AM versus Texas in the Sugar Bowl, but I know, which, which would have been electric, but, uh, but obviously Texas did not hold up their end of the bark in finishing, uh, finish it, but we had them at number two. I, I think that they actually, let me, let me pull up our final ones from this year too, so we can just compare them. Give me just a second. Uh, just real quick so we had text number two we had smu number three so smu actually i think smu did end up finishing number three give me a second i'm pulling it up there we go okay so yes uh at number one in our pre way too early ones we had text a&m same in our actual number two we had texas utsa obviously the big riser there you know where we had utsa last year oh god was it 11 we had them at 11. Man. <laughs> so, yeah, we had no, I, 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 to no fault of Jeff Trailer, we had nope. no expectations for them. <laughs> no, I think that was fair, right? No, I it was absolutely was... fair. It's like, why I... the hell would we have, like, based on his college tenure, why would we have any faith in like, him doing right. this great right away? <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, number three, we had SMU that ended up being right on the money. Texas ended up at four this year. Who heading into the year we had Baylor at number four coming off of a Big Twelve title game appearance. That was obviously a disaster, and they ended up finishing number eleven. At number five we had TCU, which is <laughs> exactly where they ended up, right yeah. there in no man's land, just like they were before. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six we had Houston. They ended up seven. Number seven we had Texas Tech. They ended up eight, so not too far off. Number mm-hmm. eight we had North Texas. They finished ninth. Number nine, we had Rice. They finished sixth, which probably is a little high, but I mean, you know, eh. that's just kind of how it ended up working itself out. Number 10, we had Texas State. They ended up 12th. Then mm. the aforementioned UTSA, uh, who ended up uh, all the way up at number two. God. And number 12, we had UTEP, and UTEP shocked the world, finishing number 10. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, well, listen, listen, we, I, I think that all things considered, uh, we were horribly wrong about utsa obviously for a million reasons um and you know we were a little too high on texas but other than that i mean we were in the ballpark one baylor baylor obviously (laughs) who could have seen that coming to be also true (laughs) 
who saw that coming so uh but yeah you know all in all not too bad you know i i think that uh making a wild prediction like uh like this is never easy and, and you always lay yourself out to get clowned later on so i, I think not right. too bad. so let's close real quick with this okay so like you mentioned it's state championship week and uh we got the 5a games on friday and we got the 6a games on saturday so if you're a college football fan what do you really need to know about this weekend? Um, I think you need to really pay attention to the quarterback battle in 6AD1. Yeah. Um, because if you're, the, if you're the most casual fan of college or high school, right? And so you want to know stars, you want to know names. Okay, then tune in 7 p.m. on Saturday. Like, you get Quinn Ewers, the number one quarterback in 2022, um, argue, or probably the number one player, I think, from any recruiting metric um, in 2022 for South Lake Carroll. And you get Cade Klubnik, uh, the third quarterback in the state for 2022. But also you get Jaden Greathouse, who's a sophomore, who's an elite wide receiver. He's probably going to be the top wide receiver of his class when he graduates for Westlake. You have an elite defense on Westlake. You have, I mean, it, it, you have strength on strength, right? You have Quinn Ewers going against arguably the best defense in the state. Um, and I'll just throw one more name out there or for one more game out there, rather, uh, 7 p.m. Sat- or Friday, uh, Denton Ryan and Cedar Park, because Denton Ryan is just loaded with top-tier talent. <laughs> you have Jatavian <laughs> Sanders playing every position they need him at. You have Billy Bowman um, at corner and, and wide receiver, like just doing whatever they need. You have DJ Arkansas, linebacker. And then you have a Cedar Park team that's just throwing the ball for like 10,000 yards. So, um I'd say those two games, if you're a casual, casual fan, just looking like you just want some football, just want some stars, I'd say those two games. I got to say, it's when – I, when I look at this Westlake team especially, right, like obviously they won the, the D2 championship last year, and this year yeah. they, they ended up, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, getting a bad draw getting put into D1. Mm-hmm. It is so dumb and so unfair that they get to have one of the best defenses in the States and also have – like a power five quarterback, like yeah. a high level power five quarterback, a high level power five receiver. And like, what the hell, man? Like I, I just, I'm just thinking back to my days of, of obviously being a high schooler at Coppell and, and being mm-hmm. like, man, we had a running back who was awesome. And then it's like, <laughs> they get all that stuff. I don't know, man. Yeah. They're, they're, they're averaging. I think the defense is allowing, let's see Greg have the graphic up. So their offense is scoring 52 points a game, obviously, because that's, you know, that's what happens when you have a good quarterback and good receiver. Um, their defense is allowing five and a half points a game. <laughs> so yeah, that's going to be insanely fun to watch because again, they're going against literally the best player in 2022 and viewers. Oh, so, man. and their de- the best part about their defense is like their highest recruit is, I mean, he's, he's, he's a power five guy. He's going to Duke, but it's like, okay, it's like, he's going to Duke. That's their yeah. best player on defense. Like that's, that's, it's just a bunch of guys who are yeah. just like going to G5 or FCS, you know, level. It's not, it's not Den Ryan, right? Den Ryan has, you know, guys going to Texas <laughs> right. and all this stuff. Like, it's just like, you got one guy going to Duke who's the best player. And then it's just a bunch of like hardworking dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I'll be doing some coverage from it too. I obviously don't usually do high school, but but these are games that I think are obviously must watch. I really, if if you are if you are a high school fan, if you're a college fan, even if you're an NFL fan, honestly, man, mm-hmm. just it, you got to turn on uh, turn on that D one game because, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, two years ago, Jaquinda Jackson versus Demetrius Davis is like up there with like quarterback battles, but this is like one of the best quarterback battles like you were ever 
going to see. I, I literally had, to, I was looking back on 247. And I, I cannot remember the last time we had like two top three quarterbacks going at it. So it's, it's, it's insane. Like, I don't know. We've, like you said, we've had good quarterback matchups, but we never had like consensus top three rated quarterbacks really going. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, look, if you want to know how good Quinn Ewers is, yeah. uh, Tom Herman is no longer the head coach of Texas. And <laughs> look, we're pretty sure that Quinn Ewers decommitting from Texas played a non-zero role in that. Right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if, if some 17-year-old deciding he doesn't want to go to college at a place can literally cost somebody millions of dollars, guess what? He's a good football player. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun. I, I do have to say, too, it's absolute garbage that he gets to play at South Lake Carroll. They, they have too many nice things as is. It's, it's yeah, right. <laughs> he should I'm, get relegated to just stand just somewhere, somewhere else. Just, yeah, yeah, make, just him, <laughs> make him carry a 3A team by himself. Just like <laughs> just toss him at Dallas Madison, man. Just, just come on. Right. Just give me something. Give me something. <laughs> also, I, I guess we didn't even mention uh, one of the cool things about this too, especially if you were a fan of, of uh, high school football in the 2000s is that it is Riley Dodge, uh, the head coach of Southlake, versus his father, Todd Dodge, who obviously yeah. won a bunch of titles at Southlake. So it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a fun one. I think that mm-hmm. there's just every matchup uh, imaginable is awesome. Anyway, thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. As I mentioned, you can uh, find all of our work at sexfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. Become a subscriber if you have not already at textfootball.com slash subscribe. As always, I'm Shahan J. Roger, Freshman Johnson. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you guys again next week.